Welcome to Red Carpet Rosters Podcast, your hub for Film Awards Fantasy League, betting advice, some history, and the Academy Awards themselves. I am your host, John Richards of RedCarpetRosters.com. Let's get to it. First, I must issue a correction. I said All Quiet on the Western Front won five Oscars last episode. It actually won four Oscars. I misspoke. My apologies. We are just beginning the offseason, but part of the nearly weekly updates will be films that have released that might need to be on your radar. We're already three months into the eligibility period of next year's Academy Awards, which also closely matches the eligibility period of most other awards, if not exactly matches. So are there any films that have already been released that could be a fancy contributor? We've seen a few. I'll get into those later. But there was a certain film festival in January that could offer some insight. I'm talking, of course, about Sundance. Now, not all Sundance films will get a distributor, and some of them will actually be widely released next year, making them eligible for the next next season, not the next season. A good example of that is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. A wonderful film. It premiered at Sundance 2021, but released to the masses in 2022, making it eligible for the 2022-23 Film Awards season. Anyway, Sundance has a mixed history with Film Awards fantasy. Coda won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance in 2021 and then went on to win the Oscar for Best Picture. Nanny, however, was last year's Sundance winner and barely registered at any award ceremony, except for some breakthrough points for Nikaru Jusu. Last year's Audience Award winner, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, registered even less than Nanny. This year saw the film 1001 win the Grand Jury Prize starring Masked Singer champion Tyana Taylor. It certainly appears it'll make some noise at more of the independent awards like Gothman Independent Spirit, but there's just too many unknowns right now. It releases later this month, a little early for an Oscar contender of this scale, but hey, anything can happen. Where Sundance really gives a little clarity is the documentaries that premiere there. Oscar winner Navalny won the Sundance Audience Award. Editing Award winner Fire of Love was an Oscar nominee. World Cinema Grand Jury winner All That Breathes was an Oscar nominee. Directing winner A House Made of Splinters was an Oscar nominee. And other documentaries such as The Territory and Descendant did get points elsewhere, even if they weren't Oscar nominees. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that in 2021, Oscar winner Summer of Soul, triple Oscar nominee Flea, and Oscar nominee Riding with Fire all won awards at Sundance. So the narrative feature wins at Sundance are really hit or miss during the film award season, but the documentaries are a little more reliable. Having said that, though, Red Carpet Rosters leagues follow a strict tradition of kicking out the season with the Gotham Awards nominations. In most years, the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards announce their nominations prior to that, so that will also help you separate the contenders from the pretenders. Anyway, check out the documentary winners and all of the Sundance winners by following the link in the show notes. In summary, here are the Grand Jury Award winners, films that could have fantasy relevance next season. U.S. Dramatic winner, 1001. U.S. Documentary winner, Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni Project. World Dramatic winner, Scrapper. World Documentary winner, The Eternal Memory. The Festival Favorite winner went to Radical. And the Audience Awards for Dramatic Features went to The Persian Virgin and Shada while the Documentary Audience Awards winners went to Beyond Utopia and 20 Days in Mariupol. Now let's get to uh, some history of the Oscars. In addition to International Women's Month, it is also Disability Awareness Month. 
Disability representation at the Oscars is mixed at best. But I contend that the shorts categories and the documentary feature usually feature people with disabilities at a higher level than other categories. Just this last ceremony, we saw a live-action short called Night Ride feature a little person, main character, played by Sigrid Husjord, and Oscar winner and Irish Goodbye featured James Martin, who has Down syndrome, as one of the leads. The documentary feature race had all the beauty and the bloodshed that highlighted substance abuse and the AIDS epidemic, and a house made of splinters highlighted children who undoubtedly suffer from various mental health problems, such as PTSD. In Academy Awards history, there have only been three acting winners who had disabilities. For the sake of this history lesson, I'm not including disabilities like mental health, you know, anxiety, depression, etc., or substance abuse disorder. This is not because they don't matter or aren't serious. They are. But these ailments are often invisible to others, and I don't want to inadvertently mistakenly include or exclude anyone. For example, you can make a case that any acting winner had at some point in their lives struggled with some sort of mental health crisis. So although mental health is something that I care deeply about, for the sake of this exercise, I'm not including someone like Heath Ledger, who tragically committed suicide before he could accept his posthumous Oscar win for playing Joker in The Dark Knight. The first actor with a disability to win an Academy Award was all the way back in 1947, when Harold Russell won Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of a World War II soldier named Homer Parrish, who lost both of his hands in the war, and his and other veterans' adjustment to post-war life in underrated Best Picture winner, The Best Years of Our Lives. He had a lot of life experience to draw from this, uh, because Harold Russell himself lost both of his hands during World War II, although not overseas. A faulty detonator while he was teaching concepts and demolition at Camp Mackle in North Carolina blew off his hands, and Russell subsequently replaced them with functional hooks. His role in The Best Years of Our Lives was his feature film debut, after director William Wyler cast him after seeing him in a uh, what could be said as a propaganda, but seeing him in government-produced short film called Diary of a Sergeant. Russell would then go on to only appear in two more feature films. That wasn't the only Oscar he received, though. That same year, he received a special award statuette for bringing hope and courage to his fellow veterans through his appearance in The Best Years of Our Lives. The next two Oscar-winning actors with a disability both appeared in CODA, Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer. Marley Matlin earned her Best Actress Oscar for her debut film role in Children of a Lesser God, a film where William Hurt plays a speech teacher at a deaf school who falls in love with a janitor named Sarah Norman, portrayed by Matlin. Marley Matlin not only became the first deaf actress to win an Oscar, but the youngest to win Best Actress at 21 years old, a record that still stands today. She beat out some big Hollywood names. The other nominees were Jane Fonda, Sissy Spacek, Kathleen Turner, and Sigourney Weaver, names you've all heard of. Marley Matlin was not born deaf, though, but became deaf either due to illness or genetic predisposition, or both, when she was 18 months old. Since earning her Oscar win along with a Golden Globe win for the same role, she has gone on to earn a Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Ensemble for CODA, as well as multiple nominations for a Primetime Emmy my favorite, for being Jerry's love interest in the Lip Reader episode of Seinfeld. She also published four books, the latest being All Scream Later, published in 2009. And the third and most recent actor to win an Oscar is, of course, Troy Kotzer for CODA, where he plays Frank Rossi, a fisherman trying to be supportive of his daughter's dream of becoming a singer. Not only did Kotzer win an Academy Award, he also won the SAG Award, 
BAFTA, Critics' Choice Award, Independent Spirit Award, and the Gotham Award, among others. Troy Kotzer was born deaf in Arizona and later attended Gallaudet University in my hometown of Washington, D.C., before touring with the theater group. His feature film debut was in the much maligned film The Number 23, where he played Barnaby. He also has a directing credit to his name for No Ordinary Hero, the Super Deafy movie, which also stars Marley Matlin. Shortly before CODA, Troy Kotzer was hired as an advisor on the hit show The Mandalorian for developing a sign language used by the Tuscan Raider Scouts. After figuring out that Troy Kotzer had acting experience, they cast him as lead scout. If you're looking for him, he appears in Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Since winning the Oscar, he performed the national anthem in sign language at the Super Bowl, and, if everything goes according to plan, play a football coach in a Disney Plus series about the true story of a deaf football team to go on to the California State Championship. If that sounds familiar, the film Audible was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Short, but that Maryland team is not the inspiration for this Disney Plus series. And there they are. The only three disabled actors to have won an Academy Award. Many actors have been nominated and won Oscars for playing someone with a disability. Think Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot or Al Pacino in Sin of a Woman or any number of actors playing someone with a debilitating disease like AIDS or cancer. However, there is a place for disabled actors and actresses and hopefully, hopefully, more representation not only in roles but in acting jobs manifest in the near future. So I talked earlier about Sundance, those films that could become fantasy relevant next season. Uh, Shall we move on to any films that were released to theaters that could be fantasy relevant? It's only March, and I know I'm thinking mostly about why I even bother doing any kind of basketball pool. Plus, I'm a Wizards fan, and I don't even know if they're going to make the play-in game at this point. But hey, no matter. I won't get into that rant. March is usually pretty early for an Oscar contender to be released to theaters, or January or February for that matter. Sure, there are exceptions. The initial release of Everything Everywhere All at Once was in March. But when that came out, there there was something about it. There was already a little bit of a buzz about something. Maybe we didn't think it would be the juggernaut that it became, but there was something there. Admit it. Anyway, what are the movies that have come out that could at least earn some fantasy points? Let's start digging. Let's start with the first major release of the year, Megan or m 3 Gun. It was good fun. Let's be honest. It it was fun. The only appeal this has is some genre points here and there. Not worthy of a draft pick. Not not even a plug and play at this point. This movie exists only for fun. Not fancy points next season. Also releasing in January was the A24 feature. That should perk you up when you finish Saving the World. This one is intriguing. Jesse Eisenberg makes his directorial debut, which could net him some breakthrough points, especially because he also wrote the film. It stars familiar faces, Julianne Moore and Finn Wolford of Stranger Things. But the only thing on my right radar right now is Jesse Eisenberg, only because it is his first. However, caveat, last year, BJ Novak had his debut with Vengeance, a highly underrated movie, but really didn't get anything. Infinity Pool was shocking, not fodder for fantasy points. Knock at the Cabin and 80 for Brady released the same weekend. And while the former film by M. Night Shyamalan won't be fantasy relevant, 80 for Brady has a secret weapon, Diane Warren. Yes, 
14-time nominee Diane Warren, Warren has become a somewhat of a running gag that if she writes a song for a movie, it's going to be nominated. I just feel like nomination 15 will be win number one. It's way too early to tell that. But her recent nominees have come from, hmm, how do I put this lightly, films that have not been universally loved. 80 for Brady, though, is serviceably good. And she wrote a song for it called Gonna Be You, as in the Oscar winner is gonna be Diane. Usually, Diane Warren is a plug-and-play and bench stasher. But this year, I wouldn't mind spending a draft pick on Diane Warren. And that's not her only song this year, either. It's very possible she becomes a double nominee for writing Found for Netflix's animated feature, The Magician's Elephant. And Netflix has reasonable success at getting animated films into the Oscar race conversation. I'll speak about streaming movies' chances in later podcasts, but Diane Warren has written two songs for two decent movies, and she should be on our radar come fantasy draft time. Magic Mike's Last Dance, uh, shouldn't be bothered with. Maybe Salma Hayek, uh, that's a stretch. So far, the highest-grossing movie of 2023 that was also widely released starting in 2023 is Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. The VFX will probably get Oscar shortlisted, but otherwise this one can be ignored because the VFX won't get many points elsewhere. Not because they're not good, but because there are other contenders that are more Oscar baity later this year that will render this one unvaluable. Those include, of course, Dune Part 2 and Oppenheimer. Cocaine Bear is fun, but not for fantasy purposes. Maybe it'll get thrown a VFX nomination here and there because it features a CGI Cocaine Bear. And Elizabeth Banks and a Bear did present the visual effects Oscar this year, so maybe some early campaigning. Uh, either way, I'll wait and see on that one. Jesus Revolution is a faith-based film that has become a surprise box office hit, but uh, nothing there for fantasy purposes. Creed 3, however, is intriguing because Michael B. Jordan has cross-eligibility as an actor and director. It's also his directorial debut, so he is certainly in play to earn quite a few breakthrough points. Ryan Coogler does have a story credit to Creek 3, but story credits aren't eligible in Red Carpet Rosters Fantasy Leagues. I only bring him up because he's well-respected in the industry and could push Michael B. Jordan into some fantasy points. Jonathan Majors could also get some supporting actor points for this. Last weekend, we saw Scream 6, 65, and Champions. Scream 6 can be ignored even if I'm a big fan of the Stab, uh, (laughs) I mean Scream franchise. 65 will probably get Oscar shortlisted for visual effects because it has a lot of animals, but mm, not much else. Champions, directed by Bobby Farley and starring Woody Harrelson and about a coach trying to coach a basketball team with intellectual disabilities, it probably won't get much fantasy attention, except Madison Tevlin might get some breakthrough acting points at various critics' organizations for her portrayal as one of the team members, Constantina. And that's it. Uh, Certainly nothing like everything, everywhere, all at once, but maybe Diane Warren and Michael B. Jordan will find themselves some fantasy points next season. Uh, We shall see. And also, that's it for me on this episode of the Red Carpet Rosters podcast. Next podcast, I am pleased to announce my first guest appearance, Paolo, from the Oscars Death Race podcast. We'll certainly talk about some fancy contenders on our radar for next season, so stay tuned for that. 
Turn on notifications for future episodes of this podcast. Thank you to Patrick Richards for writing the show music exclusively for Red Carpet Rosters Podcast. This is John. Thanks for listening. See you next time.